10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to another episode of Am I Allowed to Like Anything? I'm your host, Darian Simone Harvin, and this week I have Brandon Jenkins of Complex News with me. You probably know Brandon by his nickname, Jersey Jinx. It's kind of his real name if you ask me. Uh, And he's been working at Complex for the past two and a half years, interviewing music's biggest artists and also reporting from places like Ferguson that are shaping our national conversation around race and identity. I talked to Jinx about his upbringing and his job, as I do with all of my guests, but we also talk a lot about music and our futures and the word culture, as in what does it mean when people say, including us, that we do it for the culture. Remember that you can always rate and subscribe to Am I Allowed to Like Anything on iTunes and always join the conversation using the hashtag A-I-A-T-L-A. Without writing them, some of my best thoughts are gone to the Twitter sphere. And I was like, man, is that... You should have saved it. You should have saved right? it. Right? <laughs> like, like is, that, is that the best use of, like, my my thought process, my intellect, my interests, what I don't care about, what what upsets me, what makes me happy? And um, I don't know. I know it's, like, the first thing I go to, and I'm admittedly trying to dial back because I'm just, like, I'm just blowing good ideas and throwing it into, like, the free, the free market for someone to just, like, flex with, you know? I've definitely had people, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe that's just me being paranoid. I feel like I've had people that were like, I went too hard on Twitter. And then they were like, yo, that's really dope. Favorite your tweets. And then you look on Monday, there's an essay. And you're like, yo, those are my thoughts. And you're like, oh, all right. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, but it's Noted. also my fault. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's super weird. We really just jumped into this conversation, right. which is which is really, honestly, what I wanted to happen. You know, we talked about kind of, and I think you and I both grew up in the 90s. Like, I was born in 1990. When were you born? 86. 86. So, like, you're obviously, what is that, four years older than me. But during that time, we were watching cartoons and we were becoming introduced to the internet. We didn't grow up with it just at our at our fingertips, yeah. right? Like, I want to know about, first of all, tell the people where you grew up and then, like, what your childhood was like. Oh, um, all right. I grew up in Somerset, New Jersey. Um, it's a small town outside of New Brunswick, New Jersey, like, some people know Rutgers. I used to live right off the street from Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd say middle-class neighborhood. It ranges all over. There's, like, a rural side of it. I live in, like, the suburban side, and then there's definitely, like, a uh, more, I wouldn't say inner city, but some elements of inner city, like a uh, housing project. And it's all just mixed into one pot. So I grew up in an area that I think was pretty diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to know, when were you introduced to, it doesn't even have to be, like, hip-hop, but music. In oh, a way where it was like, I I love this. Like, you, I, you know? You know what's crazy? Um, I was talking to someone about this the other day. Uh, my earliest, one of my earliest music memories, um, I actually still have it. It's like the first, my dad got us both uh, stereos. He got my sister one and myself one. She's um, 18 months my senior, so she has like a better stereo than me. I don't understand how that works, <laughs> but um, you know what? The older one gets like. Right, like, better, like fresher stuff. Yeah, and hers, I think, could, like, play CDs and whatnot, definitely two cassettes. And uh, she had music, and I did, and I was a kid. Uh, and she always had TLC, uh, Crazy Sexy Cool. She had, a couple years later, I think it was Lauren Hill, um, and she had uh, Bad Boy's Greatest Hits, so that's all I really heard. Mm-hmm. So, like, my earliest understanding of music is, like, the TLC intro with Fife Dog on it. And uh, that's probably, like, where my interest in R&B comes from. Rap? It was just all Hot 97. Like, I had a I had a radio, and I would just duck. My dad showed me how to make tapes. He would give us all these blank cassettes, and we would just make cassettes, and I'd walk to school playing them back and forth. Wow. And I was like, it sounds really weird and dated now, but that was, like, my memory. And I remember um, trying to get nice enough that I could cut out the commercials so I could just get the song, but you could never get it right. Mm-hmm. Or if the DJ was like, oh, up next we have 
Nelly, blah, 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 would wait by, this, by the radio so I knew I could get the whole song as opposed to like catching it when I when I did. Right. So that's like my earliest memories. Um, so your dad was like making cassettes for you guys or making tape, like yeah, dubbing like, tapes for you. He would, he would t- teach us how to do all that stuff or, um, but he's also like a music dude. Like mm-hmm. um, I never really realized it and he's like a music and film guy. He just is into it. I don't think he goes into the backstory of any of these things. He doesn't care like who collaborated on this one record. He just likes good music. Um, huge record collection. They had CDs for days. Um, I remember uh, I would get in trouble because we had the Soul Food soundtrack. It's so Soul weird. Soul Food like, soundtrack. Yeah, and it's like on a CD. It was like a special thing. My parents had to use a CD player. You had to like, you know, it was like a big unit. And um, I would play Earth, Wind & Fire's uh, September. And it was on the soundtrack. I remember that was my thing. And I would get in trouble because like, I would put it back. It'd be dusty or whatever. But um, they were always really big into music. They weren't really fans of rap. My mom was not into that. But... Um, it's gonna find you, you know. High ninety seven. It was like my my portal to what was going on. So I grew up off of like Funk Flex, Angie Martinez, um, Red Alert, like all those people that were just sort of the gatekeepers back then. That's how I learned about music, like Funk's mixtapes. Uh, who else was I really into at that point? I don't know. I was also into stuff that wasn't rap and it wasn't cool, right? Like it wasn't cool to be black and be into non-rap music at that time where I was from. Mm-hmm. I remember being into like Blink-182. I was uh, into Blink-182. Honestly, one of my first CD, well, my first CD was like the Miss Educational Lauren Hill. So shout out, shout out to my dad for yeah. that. It was like the, it was not the explicit version. It was like the, the very edited version yeah. of it. But um, once I got older and started listening to more music, like Blink-182, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I love. Once I started to watch MTV, that was like when I really started to get into buying my own CDs. Mine was like MTV, if you had a good video, I was sort of interested in Blink-182 had good videos. They always had good videos. Red Hot Chili Peppers had good videos. Limp Biscuit had good videos. But I remember um, hiding those CDs. Like I remember I had a Blink-182 CD and a Fabulous CD. And I hid the Blink-182 CD in the Fabulous CD so no one on the bus would say anything. Mm-hmm. You know, because they'd be like, yo, what is that? You'd have to like explain yourself. You right. Know? Um, trying to think. Yeah, MTV definitely had like a, it helped to decide what I was into. I had this one kid, um, he used to give me explicit CDs. Um, I don't really know how. I think he was, his family sort of like hustled on the side. I'm like, do all this. They could get bootleg CDs. Right, right yeah. And uh, that guy, he's like, he's like Diddy's number two now. It's kind of crazy. But uh, we went, we were in second grade. He would, like second grade, third grade, all the way to middle school. And he would give me explicit stuff. And um, he would just burn it. And I would have it. And it was like, he got me Eminem's first CD, uh, which I got in trouble for. Uh, and I couldn't tell him where I got it from. And it's crazy to see he's now, uh, he works at Bad Boy. Like, it's it's nuts to see that we both kind of found our way right. back into this. And so you eventually left home. You went to Howard. I went to Morehouse. You went to Morehouse. I yeah. don't know why. I knew, I know. Okay, so let One me One of see. the two. Yeah, no, I, I don't know why I said Howard. Okay, I'm going to start my so, question um, again. I left school, um, well, not school. I left uh, Somerset, graduated from Franklin High School, went to Morehouse College. Um, I went there to be an engineer got there and was like whoa this is not me um i was always good at math and science but it's weird when that's not just a subject in school it's like your life there right and um i struggled i wanted to leave morehouse i actually wanted to go to howard howard had a video program and um, i was super interested in that and it never happened my parents were like yo you got a scholarship here you're gonna have to stay here so mm-hmm. i ended up staying um and i ran across this very ill teacher she she changed my life uh dr alania hudson and they put me in the marketing program, which was like advertisement at the time. And I was like, all right, I'll try it out. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, what do you do in your spare time? And I was like, yo, I make Photoshop flyers and party flyers. And, um, you know, I'm doing all this kind of graphic stuff on MySpace. And I listen oh, to nice. music. Oh, nice. So you were like designing and I was putting like the, stuff together? I was a nerd. You know, I was like into like, like when no, no one was paying attention to Photoshop in high school, I paid attention and it became the thing. Like now kids do that left and right. Right. I always feel like, man, if I was like a couple years older, <laughs> I would have had like the market on Smash. Right. Or you would have been the go-to guy for everybody. I always felt like I fell in between, like mm-hmm. um, whether it was video stuff or Photoshop, like it wasn't so democratized when I was trying it. And now every kid has a camera, you know, and mm-hmm. can do Photoshop from their phone. But um, yeah, I was doing that kind of stuff, like um, mostly MySpace backgrounds. And then people found out about it, started doing party flyers. Kids were making rap albums in college, uh, however terrible. And I was doing artwork for those. And then um, teacher was like, okay, well, you seem cool. We'll bring you in this program. And at this point, I was like, yo, I was ready to just leave school. And she brought me in and everything changed. Like, I just 
it was like I wasn't in school the last two years. You wow, know? that's so awesome. Like, seriously, Man. that's really hard for a lot of kids to find. You know, and it was weird because I was like a straight A student in high school. Well, close. You know, I was like mm-hmm. doing well without ever trying. Mm-hmm. So when you get to college and all of a sudden you have to try, you realize every kid is that kid from your school. Every kid is the prom king. Every kid is the, the funny kid in class. Every kid is the academic scholar. And so you, it's hard. you really have to define yourself because I was defining myself based off those accolades or those titles. And it wasn't until I got into the real world and met a whole bunch of people with that that I was like, okay, what discerns us? Like, what's the difference? And um, that program helped, really helped develop me. And um, all of a sudden, I was, like, getting decent grades again. I was, like, interested in school. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she really took care of me. She ended up, um, I think I started, me and a couple other kids started an advertising club. And we had, like, one chance to put a program on. We put it together, like a marketing symposium. We got some ex-students uh, to come there, like uh, Coltrane Curtis, who um, does like Team Epiphany and like a whole bunch of dope events out here in uh, branding. He's a Morehouse uh, alumni. And um, we got Steve Stout to come. And oh, that nice. was like a big deal. Yeah. Like, uh, we tried to get him to come. Uh, we didn't have the money. So we were like, yo, can we? Can you show up? He's like, look, just pay my airfare. We're like, we can't pay that. He's like, just pay my hotel. If you can't pay that, so like, no, <laughs> I can't come. So uh, this teacher, Dr. Hudson, was like, uh, yo, call him. And I was like, what? She's like, just call him. Just, you're so excited about this program. Tell him what you tell me. And I wish I could remember what I said. I called him. I left a message. He didn't pick up. I left a message. And he called back like the next day. He was like, yo, I'll come. Uh, who's that kid that left the message? So he comes to our pro- he comes to our school. I meet him and his assistant, Brooke Emerson. Um, and yeah, there were another people, another set of people that kind of came in my life and helped like to take me to that next step. He came, did the whole spiel. It was great. Um, and they gave me an internship at Translation in New York. Yeah, so I was going to say, so this is really your your connection with interning at Translation, yeah. meeting Steve Stout. Yeah, it's like these, at that point I was like, wow, things are like dope, you know, cool mm-hmm. things are happening. I was like such a Steve Stout fan from what he had done in music, what I knew about it at the time. And also just the idea of like a, a guy taking, at that time you could call it maybe Urban Appeal and packaging it into uh, ads and brands and like our culture was being reflected back to us. And I was like, man, this dude's dope. You know, of course, Jay-Z was in the mix. So it, everything just seems like very, um, very cool. And I got the internship. I was there for like maybe seven, eight weeks. But, um, you know, you're coming out of college. Your parents are pressuring you. You're like terrified of everything. And um, and I was there off kind of no money. Like my parents were like, yo, this is an internship. We don't understand what right. branding is or what any stuff is. You have a full-time job set up. You should just go do that. So my sister gave me like like a couple hundred dollars and I think I like lived with it's crazy I lived with a friend in his frat house while the frat was out for the summer mm-hmm. uh there was mice in there so I won't name the friend um <laughs> yeah and I just I would get to the path I'd pay my couple bucks to get on I wouldn't eat lunch because I was like shook like people would be like oh we're going to lunch and I'd be like oh I'll just eat later but I didn't have the money right but I was scared to go, ever go out with them because I figured like it's New York City it's gonna cost a lot of money right so um I would just eat when I came back and we'd be at the frat house and I did that for a little bit, and I got so um, the time came where I had to make a decision to go for the full time job, and I got scared, and I went for that. Um, the lesson ended up coming further down the line, but I left the I left the internship and went out to work for Nestle in Erie, Pennsylvania, which is like oh, I've been to Erie. Have you? Oh my gosh! Well, I am from Buffalo, New York, so oh okay, yeah. yeah. So and I have family in Ohio, so it's like always drive through Erie, yeah. and I mean, there's a Chick Fil A. Yeah, I would. I know that Chick Fil A. I was I, you there. You know regularly. that Chick. You know exactly which one I'm talking about yeah, too. It was like the movie theater, and then there was like furniture stores, and then um, it was terrible. Uh, and then at the same time, well, not the same time, like a year later, Nestle was like, "Yo, this isn't working out. You need to go." Um, <laughs> and I left. You know, so right. then I was back home. I was like unemployed for like a year and some change, uh, doing like weird odd jobs and all sorts of like insane things. And this girl from like Nestle, what? Like, can you like expand on that? Some of it's not totally legal. Um, yeah, it was wildin'. Um, and also, like, I was just back home. So, like, when you're back home, you're back. It's like you never left. You're back in the mix with, like, your friends um, that didn't go nowhere, you know. And right. it, uh, it's grown-ass man, Morehouse graduate, and was, like, pulled back into that so easily. Um, literally being in the street all day. It, and it feels crazy, you know, because, like, your friends, like, you're texting your other friends. And they're not even off work yet. And you're just, like, out. Um, I, what else was I doing? I was, like... Then on the flip side, I was, like, doing, like, graphic work for, like, my church to try, you know, just to, like, stay busy. My mom's right. at home, so she's just like, yo, what are you doing? 
and I had job offers and stuff like that, but I knew that they weren't for me because I had just gone through the Nestle thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, I got to find something that feels right to me. Right. Like, I don't ever want to go back there. I think that sometimes I think that once you get a taste of what you don't want, yeah, you, you don't want to go back. And if you get a taste of what you do want, like translation was a taste of that. And once you get that, once you get any bit of what you want, you want more. Right. And, um, and I think at that point I started to realize like, man, this didn't work not because I was in Erie or it was Nestle. This is a great company. It didn't work because it doesn't align with me. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to start to tap into that at that point. And um, it's really tough telling your parents, like, you know, they have a, like a grown man in their home, you know, and they're like, yo, what are you doing all day? Like, you know, like, and I would be on the internet. For them. If I wasn't outside, I'd be on the internet. And they were like, yo, like, this doesn't seem like work. Like, what are you doing? Go get a job. You know, and they get nervous for you. Right. And, um, but I knew that it wasn't for me. So I kept trying to get jobs. Um, here in the city, trying to find a way to make things work. And this girl from high school, uh, she was interning at, she wasn't interning, she was the assistant to the the head over at Decon, which at the time was like um, an ad agency and a record label. They've kind of morphed into mostly just dealing with mass appeal and a production firm now. But um, they were a creative house. I was like, all right, cool. Um, At that point I had been stacking up unemployment. um, So I was using that to pay to go to the city and I would basically pay to go to work, work there until they hired me. And it was a couple months down the line. They eventually hired me uh, for a very, very low rate. But um, I appreciate it. I was, I, in my mind, I was back in the mix. Right. You know. Um, and, and how did Complex start to come into the picture? Man, that's like a little, that's like, I worked at TCOM for maybe like three years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, and, I, yo, Complex is like the weirdest thing ever how it popped up. Isn't I, it always like the job that you people know you for? It's like the weirdest thing ever. It's well, like you definitely didn't apply for it online. Well, it's funny because like even still like people are like, Yo, what was your degree? I'm like, it wasn't a degree in journalism. Um, <laughs> you know, and then like, how'd you get in complex? Man, Noah, I'd met Noah a couple times just through people at Mass Appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had worked, I'd been groomed there under like Sasha Jenkins, who's like an OG. So he knew a lot of people, and um, I guess Noah came by to kick it with Sasha one day, and we met, like, briefly. We didn't really have any extended conversation. And then I met him again at another time, I think at, like, a dinner or something. I, I, I really don't know. Um, excuse me. And They were just looking for somebody to fill a, I think, a certain you know, role. I, I still think they rolled the dice because I don't have a clue how this worked out. Um, <laughs> what and, was the position that they were like, okay, Jinx. Okay, yo, Brandon. Even then, yo, I, I must have, I think they knew I was ready to A, make more money and B, look for a change because like, even when he hit me up, like, he shot me a DM through Twitter and was like, yo, you want to grab a drink? And I'm like, hell yeah. So we have a drink, whatever we meet. And he tells me like, you know, they're working on revamping the music channel at the time and staffing that up um, as well as um, they have a video property. And I was like, oh man, the music channel. At that point, I wasn't so confident in my writing ability that I could, because again, Mass Spell sort of behind the scenes. Like I would write here and there, but I was like, working with the video team and positioning content and right. doing like off-camera interviews. So I was a little shook because um, in my mind, I was like, yo, it's complex. Like I got to I gotta be on my A-game, you know, but I also want out of this position I'm in right now. Right. Um, and the dude was just like, yo, man, I like you. So like, what's Let's up? make this work, yeah. Yeah, and I got in there for the interview. And again, I don't know what they were thinking because I was so timid in my interview, um, you know, like hands on my lap, looking down, uh, you know, but... um. They were like, yo, we have a video property. We have someone to produce. I said, okay, cool. And then I want to say maybe it was like my second day in. They were like, yo, you should be on camera. And I remember being like, whoa. Like, I was, I really wanted to just produce stuff. And they were like, no, nah, you should do it. And mm-hmm. I did it. And then, yeah, fast forward now, that's like what I do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they rolled the dice on me. I rolled the dice on them. And we both came up. And, um, I wish it was like a more structured story. But I... Yeah, we just all worked really hard to make it make it happen. And it really feels like your job has evolved over time as like the sense of responsibility that comes with your role has evolved over time. Do you feel that way? I think so. Like before I was just doing stand-up news, like I remember the first video was like, the funny thing is like the Wally thing we were talking about off camera. Like it was funny because that was like the first big video, like him calling up and like threatening us and all that stuff yeah. and us choosing to report it. And that was like the start, I guess you could say, of Complex News. But I've been doing stuff maybe two months before that. But um, it's like stand-up, you know, and then you don't realize how many people are seeing it after a while. We started to grow. Yeah. So you watch, like, uh, um, once we got onto YouTube and stuff, the audience got so much bigger. And people started to recognize me and start to follow you and start to want to see what you have to say. And I knew that the job itself wasn't, like, 
you know, I'm not Walter Cronkite, but I knew it was like, that it was important. It was different than what we were doing in the blog. So like you say something, you might meet that person. Mm -hmm. It's not a byline. You know, you can't stand next to Wale and then write something crazy. He doesn't know who you are. Right. He's going to know who you are. I mean, I was going places and other artists knew who I was because of these things, you know, so you start to realize there's a responsibility in how you treat your subject matter, the people involved, as well as, you know, you say something, you have to like, it's like real life now, you know, you got to you might have to see them in the streets. Right. And then also, um, as my job evolved, we started to cover things that were outside of the realm of like sneakers and pop culture, um, like social issues. Like mm-hmm. when I went to um, I went to Ferguson. Right. And that changed everything. I've not been the same since. Why so? You know, it's funny. My um, I had friends tell me that they're like, "Yo, you are not the same since you came back from Ferguson." And I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, Ferguson let me know, like, hey, on a personal level, I just never seen anything like that. Um, I'd never seen people treat one another like that, you know. When when you say that, what do you mean? The way the citizens were treating the way citizens were treating one another, the cops, outsiders, um, the way the cops were treating press, the civilians, it it's like weird to be in a moment like that. You don't see it on a news clip, you're watching it as it happens and it's just really depressing. Um, and then in the midst you're still doing a job, so like someone's letting off shots and you're still talking to the camera. And every instinct in you tells you, like, yo, we got to get out of here. Or, you know, or someone's, like, telling you a heartbreaking story. And, like, when people tell you stuff, it makes you want to cry. And you got to kind of keep it together, you know. Um, And also just seeing that stuff. Like, I'm not saying I'm militant, but it definitely – I was woke before. But now it's, like, you want to put action to those thoughts. And um, things I don't think you're the only one that started to really feel that way, especially as, like, a black millennial living now. So – and, and that job also, you know what it was? I went the week after I got back. I remember I couldn't do regular news. We had like a 50 cent story and I couldn't do it. I was like, mm-hmm. man, this, this shit does not matter. And it does. But I was just still on like, you know, we've been tear gassed out there. We had. Uh, who did you go down there with? Um, with Complex. With so, Complex. Yeah. And then like, like who were your people who were down there with you? Like, um, who's man, your- our cameraman, um, Sean Stout, our producer, Cornell Brown. Um, and then. Uh, Damien, um, Damien Scott, he now works at uh, BT, head of content, but he was with us. He was like one of our top writers. Um, we went down the first time. We went down. We went back twice. Or we went back again uh, this past summer. But um, yeah, so it was like three black dudes, one white dude. And uh, yo, it was crazy. Like, I wish I could, I wish I could articulate it, anything beyond the videos, but like, even leaving, I felt guilty. Like, it messed me up for a while. Like, because then you come back home and it's like a Supreme drop or 50 Cent's beefing with Rick okay, Ross again. Fox. Yeah, and then you're just like, yeah, or, he's nuts. Um, And you just feel like none of that matters, you know? And so it's hard to get back to a job that everyone's saying is important. You get to hang with these celebrities and do this cool shit and to feel like, is this even worth it, you know? Or your friends are trading memes in the group chat and you're like, yo, like, do you know, do y'all know what's happening? Like, are y'all up on game? Mm. And, or in our position now, we're meeting a lot of, you know, young blacks who are becoming, uh, you know, uh, getting access to like, you know, better finances and better ways of life. And some of them have removed themselves from the conversation. And even that is like disheartening. And you just feel like everyone should be on the same page and everyone should be aware of what you're going through because you saw what these other people are going through. And that's not real, but you want it. And it, um, it messes you up. And I remember coming back and actually Rem, I ran into Rember uh, at Trelectro in DC. And uh, he had just gone back and I had just gone back. We didn't see each other out there. And um, we looked at each other and we were like, yo. And we just had maybe, you know, it's like Migos is in the background and we're talking about this mm-hmm. very real event. And even kids up there, like I, at this point I interviewed 50 Cent, LeBron James, like these big figures in our world. And no one came to talk to me about that. Kids were coming to me like, yo, you just came, I just saw you in Ferguson, like, on Monday, man, like, yo, you good? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, yo, that was so dope. And it felt weird at the same time to be congratulated for that. But also, like, it just made me happy that the same people that are watching Migos, uh, you know, talk about whatever, um, are watching this too. And I realized that some of them may not have even seen it unless we did it. Yeah, and that, on that complex platform. Yeah, and that and that felt like we were all out there. And I think at one point, we were like, yo, we feel like we're doing the right thing. Because, mm-hmm. like, most times you're just doing things, right? Like, right. That felt like we were, it felt like we were, you know, journalists for real, and we were holding it down. But um, we definitely had lasting effects that I haven't totally figured out. But I, I know, like from people telling me and just how I feel about things, that um, it definitely altered something, like within. Yeah, and has that experience 
change your career trajectory in terms of like what you see yourself doing in the future, whatever, however close mm. or far the future is like kind of that experience. Did it make you kind of reevaluate not specifically like your role, but maybe like what some of your goals are within your career? I guess I always had the like, whatever I do, I want to keep it real. I guess whatever that is. Um, for instance, like not working at Nestle, well, Nestle decided that for me, but not working at Nestle, you know, but like, I want to work in a space that is more like me. Like, I don't want to have to switch into someone when I go to work. I want to be able to be me as many hours of the day that I can. But then that just definitely, how did it alter my career? It definitely made me feel like I was responsible. And I know I came back doing music news, like harder. I was like, yo, man, like I got to tell the whole story. You know, even stuff that's maybe unfavorable towards us or this other group that, you know, like I have to tell the whole story. It made me feel more responsible to um, share information with the audience and share full information. You know, it got mm -hmm. to a point where like, even at work, they'd be like, yo, you got to turn your script in, man. Like you are writing everything there is on the topic. And I just felt like, yo, if these people are tuned in, then we can't shortchange them. Um, I think it, that's maybe how it changed my job immediately. In the future, I don't know. Um, you know, I wonder if I'll do this four years from now, you know, if I'll be on camera doing reporting. Um, you know, it, it came out of nowhere, so I can't say it was something I always planned. Um, I don't know if Ferguson's changed that for me in that sense. Um, it's really more personal, I think. It's less professional. Um, I definitely, you know, I somehow I end up taking those stories at work when it's time, mm -hmm. uh, probably just through perspective. And also just I'm not shook. Like, I don't care what the subject matter is. I'll discuss it. Right. Um, but personally, it's like I'll have a conversation with someone. If it goes there, I don't let it veer away. I'm like, yo, okay, let's let's chop it up about that. And I find that younger kids out there are more inclined to give me that five extra minutes if I'm not talking about rap to hear that out because probably because I do talk about rap, but they also they've seen these events and I'm like, okay, this guy's like not gonna lie to us. Right. to know like what does especially working at complex like what does culture mean to you um, like when people are like i want to do it for the culture or like i do it for the culture like I, like what does that what does that mean for you most times i think you hear the word culture it means nothing um <laughs> most times that it's being used um it's, it's it's a word that's really hard to define it's very abstract you really yeah. have to know like what that means for you like i feel like a lot of times the culture is used as like all right i think it's used as a cop-out yeah, well, it's like people in the industry, right? So, like, people are like, oh, you know, for the culture, like, people in the culture, within the culture. But, man, half the people that are in the culture aren't in the – they're just – they got a good seat at this dope mm -hmm. office. You know what I mean? Um, what does the culture mean for me, man? Like, which culture? Uh, and then there's that, too. Which culture are we talking about? And they're all overlapping in some way, shape, or form. So, I guess it's sort of like the – I wish it was something you could say, like, the – the bylaws in which you abide by, or like the guidelines which you abide by. Because like there's things that take place in hip hop culture that aren't like elsewhere in other cultures or like the culture I want to adhere to would be like, yeah, we feel this way and we're going to say this and not to be offensive or to live without barriers, but the culture that's like not, not pandering to certain audiences and, and isn't lying for, you know, isn't doing what's convenient. Um, and at times it's hip hop culture, uh, I, that's a really tough question. What is culture? Yeah, I think for me, because I've kind of interrogated myself to really figure out like, okay, we're at this event with like these people who are I'm associated with in some way or, or who I know and who I have a lot of appreciation for. Are we culture or right. are like the things that happen, whether it's in politics or sneakers or hip hop or music and how we react to it and how other people react to it. Sometimes I feel like that like that is culture. It's almost like what people make and what they create and in what they write, in uh, what they tweet and what they Instagram and what kind of gifts they make off of like events that happen at least within like American culture, right? Yeah. So like for me, that's my definition of culture. Is I think it's very. I don't ever think it's like a set of people. Sometimes I think it's more of like 
how we decide to react to these events or these you know it's a good example <laughs> is like um like i said there's like a thing is meme culture right right and um i was thinking about the two dudes the other day who um they went on the car chase right and like twitter culture which is sort of like yeah, like, like memes of it grand theft auto like jokes and stuff like that and you go through the comments and people are like these thugs these hooligans you know these n-words whatever and then there's a whole bunch of other people who are like yo this is mad funny and it's both wrong and funny and it's um like there's a culture to that like if people like if Barack gets on camera saying something crazy someone's gonna throw a Michael Jordan meme face on him and there's gonna be a whole other group of people who are like this is the president you know like mm-hmm. I don't I don't know I, I kind of like your definition of like how people react to it because to me that is a culture like that's meme culture online culture black culture mm-hmm. um I think culture is not cornered off to a group of people right like and I think that people that are within that are people that profit off of that would like you to believe that. Um, it's definitely, a, I think, a conversation I really like to have sometimes because it's like you feel it, but can you art- but articulating it, I think, is so helpful. I think that it's helpful for us to like just talk about it. And even if we don't always have all of our full thoughts on it, I think that it helps, at least it helps me to figure out how I want to contribute in like what I want my own life to look like working within media at least yeah because there's like there's hip-hop culture there's media culture there's online culture there's um like my parents fit into some culture that's like I don't know like older black people culture you know what I mean where (laughs) it's like they're still not into like you know sagging pants and this group was the best group back in the day so I think we all kind of I guess it's like a collection of like your interests and experiences. It's like the world you live in, how you engage with it, and then how and other people that engage with it similarly. I think that creates a culture, perhaps. I like that. I think because um, it's like there's a whole bunch of people that love hip hop music that aren't that don't fit the the you know presentation deck on hip hop, but they know it. They're of it. They react similarly when. Drake drops a record or Pusha T drops a record, you know, they're they're of it. They're right. in it. And they don't need a job to say that they're in it. They don't need to work a complex. They don't need to and they be don't co-signed. Have, yeah, and they don't always have to vocalize it either. <laughs> yo, and that's, yo, that's, that's ill that you said that. Because um, I think a lot of times our definition of who's in and who isn't and who's valid is based off of who vocalizes it the loudest or who keeps reminding you that they're this person. And honestly, that strategy really works if it's like, if you keep saying it, people will believe it, but that doesn't actually make it real. And um, yeah, I, I feel like there's a whole group of people that are into stuff that don't, maybe they don't chime in, maybe they don't say their opinion on everything, but like they're still in it. Right. Okay, so now I want to talk about I feel music. like I didn't answer that at all. No, <laughs> I feel like, no, I, I think that is just a conversation to be had. As I said, it's it feels so abstract, but I like to have it because I think that we should be figuring out what that means for ourselves. You know what? I'll say culture is a conversation, right? Because it's like an event takes place and it's a reaction to it. We can say the reaction is like a conversation. It's ongoing and it involves more than one person. And and one person can't represent that either. It's like it's, it's an amalgamation of, of things, events, and people. So I think a conversation is probably a good way to describe it because it, it's just ongoing. So I want to talk about music and like what you're listening to right now. Oh man, um, yo, the, the thing I like the most right now, I got an advanced copy of the K Trinata album. Yo, oh my gosh. Yo, it it's probably the best thing I've heard this year. The it's probably it's probably the best thing I've heard this year so far. I know we're only like four months in, but it's really good. And I can't like tweet about it or anything. Right, right. Like, you know, um, but it's it's very dope, and you wonder what's going to happen to those guys who are like DJs and producers, but they're not like artists, artists in the sense of like creating lyrics. Right. But he's he's fine. 
he's going to be okay. Like, it's it's very good. Um, what else am I listening to? Dreamville's Kaz. Uh, he dropped the album called Nothing Personal. Yeah. And it's like, it's the best rap rap project I've heard this year. Um, better than Kanye's album, as far as like rap goes. It's the best rap album. I'm listening to a lot of grime music. Um, I've been back and forth to the UK working on a project well, with Complex on Grime. And, um, you know, the mu- it's to me, it satisfies all the things that are that aren't celebrated in rap today. So like there's still freestyles, there's still like live radio sets, there's still beef and not the fake beef that we have today where it's like tweets and emojis. It's like and it's it's like competitive, not a sense of like, yo, I'm gonna shoot this dude. It's like, yo, I'm better on the mic than you. Right. And those things that I think we used to celebrate are staples there. You cannot you cannot survive as a grind artist without engaging in those things. And it's so energetic. It's got like a fast BPM, kind of like trap music does. But um, it's just a British thing. It, I can't even explain it. And it sucks because the whole premise of the, like the the project I'm working on is to have them define it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's just it's just a feeling. <laughs> and then you go there and you have the feeling, and you're like, whoa, this is ill. Right. Uh, I'm listening to a lot of grind music, so a lot of Skepta. This artist named Chipmunk, Novelist, uh, Stormzy, um, Lethal B. There's a whole genre over there that people over here aren't really engaging in, yeah. and it's it's got its own history. I mean, it's. It's probably, it occupies my headphones a lot. That's dope. I've been paying a lot more attention to grime now just because I've kind of been turning my ear more towards like British culture, like black British culture. Oh yeah, I, like, I love it. I, I love it. I'm totally like a fangirl of it. I listen to this podcast called Don't Cry, Don't Beg. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to send it to you, but it's on um, No Wave. Oh, yo, No Wave. No Wave. Everyone needs to listen to No Wave. Like their sound, yeah. it, they, it's were, just gems. You were asking like what, we'll get that later. But, yeah. Um, that I was going to big up uh, No Wave. No Wave is is so ill, and I think that they're doing something that um, used to be really prevalent, like right. kind of pirate radio type thing, and that's right. actually super prevalent overseas as well. Yeah, but um, like they're curating a group of things that like yo, just go check out No Wave, like see things you don't like, see things you do like, right? Experimental stuff that you've never heard before, things that you thought you knew about you didn't know about, expert interviews, like. No wave is the shit. Right. Like, it's just a wealth of knowledge on just on their SoundCloud. Uh, I love it. No crazy branding, no ads. Mm-mm. Like just like, yo, we're doing this because we're into this. And if you're into it, cool. If not, here's something you can figure out you don't like. Mm. And you know, they're they're killing it. And they do a good job of repping grime music um, yeah. really well. But grime UK British culture, like UK well, British black culture is so ill. Cause like they are so cool to me. Maybe because you know, I'm not over there, like I just totally fantasize about about is, being over there. It it is very cool. Um, they they have a whole different library of slang. They have a different way of carrying themselves, but there's also some similarities between our cultures. Definitely. As well. um, and they're also going through a similar, especially the music itself is going through a similar timeline that we've seen events here. Like to me, grime is like the introduction of grime over there from garage music is like the introduction of NWA to like more softer rap tunes over here. Mm-hmm. And then they're also still dealing with like lack of approval or like acceptance from mainstream society, which we've seen over here. Right. Um, you know, uh, profiling of their youth, which we've seen over here, but also like a, a bustling club scene that and a, a whole style of dress that kind of feels more like how things were back in the day. Like you knew a hip hop dude just off site back mm-hmm. then, which you can't really tell now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, their, their growth is similar to ours, but it's still its own thing. And I'm, um, Yo, it's it's like hypnotic. Like you go over there, you hear one grime rave, like that's it. It it's so 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 good. I agree. I'm like really into grime right now and just the kids over there and like what they're making and that's why I love that podcast that is like broadcasted through No Wave. It's yeah. called Don't Cry Don't Beg because uh they're like two Nigerian girls who like grew up in London and like South London, you know, they like don't say the TH over there. They like yeah, always yeah. use the F and I'm, and I just like, I'm t- I totally just love everything like that those kids are, are doing over there. So shout, shout out to the British kids, the black bridge kids over there. Yeah. They're, um, they're crushing it. My, I wonder how far it's going to spread. But what I liked when I went over there is that there wasn't a, they're not living in America's shadow. They're not like, mm-hmm. Oh, we need America to blow up. They're like, yo man, like y'all get with this or not. Like it's good. Yeah. And, that attitude is very uh, do-it-yourself over there, which I think doesn't – it exists with what we're doing. But, like, we're drowned out by, like, the majors and brands and money, and they're doing it because the brands ignore them, you know? Like, because the big operations don't 
get like there's no there's no grime at the Brits. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, we'll just do our own thing. They made their own award show. Like they're they're figuring it out, and it's the best time to do it. I think if hip hop was younger, it would be it would be there'd be more owners of hip hop that are from hip hop. But Grimes doing it right right now. Right, and you also DJ some too. Yes, yeah, sort of. You know, like it's one of the things like I'll like I'll tell people I DJ, but I'm not a DJ. Okay. Like I'm I'm just up there like feeling as I go along. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, DJ, you think it's hard? Yo, it's very hard. Um, it's I think people think like if you can beat match, you can DJ, and it's really like I'd say it's less that and more your selection and more like reading a crowd and also having like a music knowledge. Well, well. A wealth of music knowledge that's outside of top 40 hits yeah. like everyone's gonna play future you know what i mean and um how did i even get into djing i think i've always wanted to do it like i like the idea of playing music like i would do it at parties and stuff like that growing up i would always throw like these backyard uh cookouts and i would just play music off my laptop and people would come up and you said that one person who doesn't understand, like, yo, I'm not going to play what you want every, like, okay, you got one Gucci track here, man. Like, I'm going to keep DJing. Right. And they're like, no, play this, play this. And you got to, to get rid of that person, you got to play good songs. Because mm-hmm. then when they come up, they're like, all right, all right, you got it, you got it, you know? And so I think that's where the interest came from. And I've always just liked, I've always just enjoyed music. And uh, a friend of mine, there was like those versus parties, and he was like, yo, man, like, you're always tweeting about good music, man. You should DJ. And I'm like, yo, I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yo, man, like I'll link you up with um, this DJ. And she, like, I had the gig. It's really criminal. I had the gig on a Saturday. And Friday night after work, she taught me in like four hours. And I went up there the next day mad nervous. And it went okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't a disaster. The, so the, the VS party is actually like my favorite New York party right now. I yeah. always love the music. I love how there's just such a deep foundation in the music Yo, as opposed yeah. to anything else. It's not about like the libations or like necessarily the crowd even. I mean, you go there because you're like, "Yo, I want to hear the Neptunes versus you right. know, Timberland or something like that." Right. And um, I thought that was really cool, and it also encourages like it's a party you can go to and hear deep cuts. You know, like. You can hear that song that you haven't heard since 12th grade. Right. Or you can hear that song that has like, Lightweight has like a, a radio drop over it. But it's cool because we know it's the only version of that song that's out. Um, and it's celebrated. And people will ask you to play. Like, so when you go up, you're going to play this one song. It's like the remix of the remix. And I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how I got my start. And then I've just, through friends, I've been like booked elsewhere. Um that's dope. Place. Yeah, it, it's cool. It's cool, but it's, I get super nervous every time. I would. I mean, I don't blame you. I get so and so like I won't do anything the night before. I get. It's crazy. It's like going. It's like game day. Um, when people are up there want to chat with me. I can't talk to you. Yeah. Like it looks probably like I'm a prima donna, but I'm just like, I get I get so terrified. It's like the last five minutes, and I'm like, all right, I'm cool. It's bad. <laughs> and what about you know we we talked about like curation and and media content and you know, just like helping to point readership in the direction of quality, what we consider would be quality work. And so I want to know, like, like, where do you go for your news or what's like an outlet that you really like or, or how do you, what is your media diet? How do you consume information yourself? Man, um, hmm. it's kind of weird, but I do actually check uh, comics a lot, even for, just for work, you know, mm-hmm. I'm checking like, oh man, like what? I kind of like check every morning to see what's popping, but more importantly, like what our readers are engaging with the most. But um, I check a lot of sites. Like, I love what Fader's doing. Love Fader. Fader's the shit. No, um, no, Fader is the shit. They they're doing a really good job. They're putting music first um, when they do write music. What I like about Fader is they do such a good job of humanizing like their subject matter. They like, do. One writer I love over there is uh, Ruia. She to me is like agreed. I, I think she's amazing. Um, I think I liked when Tremel was over there. I thought he was like. I still think he's like one of the illest. I think he has been for years. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like what they're doing. I love their photography. I think that one thing I, I would say about hip hop magazines and um, they're not a hip hop magazine, but um, I'd say about hip hop magazines and it really kind of bothers me is that I feel like a lot of the ones that we grew up on without naming names, um, they've kind of got like an archaic style to these things. Like, where's your, like, how come you guys aren't like delivering the best photography and right. how come sometimes the issues feel like a month or so late? Like, and I know a lot of times people are like, oh, well, people have moved on for those sites and the audience isn't there for them. But it's like, yo, man, like you have competition out there. You know, Fader's dropping good covers like every issue. You know right. what I mean? We try to do our thing and make sure that we're doing good covers every issue. And again, they're not always rap, but I want to see that from like the, the outlets that I grew up on. Right. Because like I still hold them to a high esteem. And sometimes I think that that is 
often why we why I at least feel that the kids who look like us are almost underserved in that the places that we used to that we depend on content for that talk about black artists that talk about black life aren't always given the same money to do what everyone is loving right now. Well, one thing I will say is I think the business kind of caught some of them by surprise. You know, I think they were still doing print at the time or maybe electronic picked up, me digital. Um, advertisers for sure. Like advertisers is like, you know, yeah. I'm sure they love us because like we hit everybody, you mm-hmm. know, as opposed to like some of these outlets that are smaller that are a little more niche. Yeah, it's like you do want to see them hold hold that crown up or be able to hold a candle to what you see these other outlets are doing. One thing I feel like I'd like to see is some of these bigger outlets you know, staff people that that would write there, there, you know, like. Right. Like you, staff, like staff well, jobs. Yeah like, yeah, like I'm talking about like every company does their like yearbook photo. Go look at that, you know, yeah. and how many people look like the people in the music? How many people look like the fans? Yeah. And it's like, mm, not that many. And you can see it in the writing. You know, you can see it in the coverage where something comes through and, and outlets are straight up like, yo, we're sorry we didn't know. It's like, no, you didn't know. Right. But the information's available. And that's probably the kid who sent his resume in three times or tried to intern or you just ignored, you know, because he's not like the trendy dude coming out of Williamsburg stop. But like he has a voice and he's there's inna- no shortage and, and he's innately hooked in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I was listening to rap back at a point where I didn't have a choice. Like someone was just playing it around me. Mm-hmm. Like there's something to be said for that. And um, it doesn't matter. Like you still don't see it. It's 2016. Everyone knows. I mean, some people are doing like, you know, someone's going to check your diversity and they'll do just enough to get by. And um, man, you can see it anytime, any company, not just in, in music journalism, anyone that's in our, I guess you said our cultural space, go to these liquor companies, go to these ad companies, these ad firms. Yo, like, y- y'all got to be able to find people. I know them. You know what I mean? Like, and they're, they're jobless, you know, or they're not at these places that really need them. And more importantly, Less to do it as like a uh, what looks what it looks like outwardly, y'all need them because like there's enough mistakes going on at these outlets and in, anywhere like you know again all these companies that play around in, in the space that we call the culture and um, they're making mistakes because there's no one to advise them. Now if you're making a film about cops, you need to have a police officer come and say, "Yo, here's how you do the film. This is realistic. Don't do this because cops don't do that. Do this because cops do that." You know, in any film, we need cultural advisors that have these places. Shit, don't even make them right. Just be like, yo, what were you, you going to say? No, that's a bad idea. Don't right. do that. Or <laughs> actually, I would say more like this so you don't end up on, you know, on this site. Like, and I still think that outlets know that that's important, but they haven't, they're able to get by. So they're like, you know. Also, I will say that half that work is being done on social media. So you don't have to hire these people. Like you said, like right. they can just, <laughs> it's, just it's, it really is. They'll just tweet all the gems away. And then a company will be like, oh, okay, cool. We'll just mimic that idea or that like that sentiment and get our best, you know, non-black, not you know, writer to do this thing. The game's meant to be, you know, sold, not told, and we're telling it every day. And I mean, like half the half the issues that come up in the talks about like culture not being represented or people missing that the gap in between getting it and not getting it is, um, yo, we've given a lot away on Twitter. Someone. Maybe it was Rem I was talking to you about this. Like, water cooler talk has happened at Twitter now. Mm-hmm. And pe- anyone can see it. And as a result, they might think that their, like, proximity or access to it has given them true experience, and it hasn't. And so they get things wrong. Or they take liberties that maybe one shouldn't take. But it's because these conversations that used to only happen after church was out, you know, or, like, in the back of the classroom or on, on the bus or wherever, were happy, they're taking place in front of everybody. And... People are still confused about by Felicia, which is crazy to me. You what? Know what I mean? Yeah, like that, or like there's professors holding this professor get to keep their jobs just explaining that for a semester, and we're like, but that professor doesn't. You don't need a professor for that. You need Joe Schmo, who's watched Friday thirty times, to come in your class. We need to pay him to explain it. Right. But we we haven't gotten that locked down yet. You know. Last question before we get into the plus one segment. Okay. As I told you, I ask everyone this question. What is your dream right now? What do you think about? What do you wake up wanting to do? These are really good questions because I, I don't know. Um, sometimes you're living your dream, at least not your ultimate dream, but sometimes you're living your ideal situation. Sometimes it's tough because I think like, man, my life is tight, right? Like I get to do a lot of cool stuff. Definitely. Um, 
I remember where I was working at one point, like, and know what I'm doing now. I remember being unemployed, and uh, my life is dope. But I think sometimes it's hard for me to appreciate that in the moment because I'm always thinking, what's next, or applying the work element to it. And for me, I don't, I don't necessarily know what my dream is. I think whatever I do, it's gonna sound kind of silly, but like, I just want to keep it a hundred. Like, mm. I'm willing to. I've been broke before. I'm willing to lose money for that. You know, mm. um, I'd like to make money money's tight but um you know i um i i want to be me that's my dream like so as i evolve i want to find a career that fits that as the people around me change i want to be able to you know grow with them and align with that um but i want to be me and i don't want to be marginalized i don't want to tell me what i can't do that's always going to happen in any corporate environment um my dream eventually is to probably work for myself i'd love to have um you know i like what you were saying earlier when we were talking about like curating whether it's content experiences, you know, trying to like give people something that they can actually like give people a whole plate of food, right? And I want to do that. I don't know what capacity that would be. You know, at one point I felt like, man, I love what Jeff Staples done with Read Space, right? It's not like a Supreme or like these stores you're kind of afraid to go into, but like you can go there and you can go there and just kick it all day and no one will press you, you know? Um, you can go there and pick up a book about hip hop. You know, you can pick up Ego Trips, The Big List. You know, you can you can learn about things there you can buy clothes there it could be a one-stop shop to go like if you're a foreigner you can come in there spend a couple hours and get right you know what i mean and i thought about having that one day um just to give people something that they can actually hold on to like how do you know what hip-hop is if you ain't never been there how do you know what this culture is like i want to create a one-stop shop where it's like your listening sessions can happen there this could happen there you know Mm -hmm. where it's like I want it to be crowded to the point where someone's like, yo, man, I really wanted to have my event there because they're about, they're keeping it 100. They're about the culture that I believe in. Mm-hmm. But I can't because it's booked. But I'll do it next week. Or I want to go there and get shirts, but they're sold out because everyone knows to get shirts here because they're popping. The money aspect is cool, but I'd like to do that, I think. So that's kind of services a community without getting out of my lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like my last job, I'll probably be a teacher. Uh, like most of my family, not most of my family, some of my family are educators. And um, I could easily see myself like, going back to Morehouse if they'll have me or um you know they don't really uh, check for us in this space sometimes uh I know the feeling yeah it's like I gotta be like a finance dude or uh, mm-hmm. in politics um Morehouse or I go back to my high school and I feel like that's kind of what I want to do um interact with people on like a a one-to-one basis to reach as many people as possible but like just teaching about the space that we're in I think there's so much worth in in like our ideas and the music we enjoy and like some people saves their lives for real. Other people just helps you get through the day, and it's yeah. just cool. Like, it's just cool, and I want to kind of be participating in that as long as I live. And because these things are, they're innately like they're of me. They're I'm I'm of that, and it's of me. I think that that's gonna be me keeping it a hundred. That's gonna be me, you know, being myself. Yeah. I don't see myself doing what I'm doing now, like forever. Okay. Um, but who knows? You know, like, uh. You, you, sometimes you talk to like the OGs in this space, I call them, and they mess your head up because you can see how long they can live in this space. And you're like, yo, like you're like beating a family off this and it's tight. And But I don't know if this will always be me. You know, yeah, I'll yeah, figure yeah. it out. One, one thing I've learned that is so important to what I've observed, not just like staying relevant, but like doing work that continues to move as like the times move and as things shift and change is like, understanding that you have to keep your work ethic that you and continue to have a consistent work ethic but like you can't do what you've always done and expect to like remain relevant i think that you are so much more valuable when say you you've worked in hip-hop you've covered hip-hop for like the past 20 25 30 years but almost like taking all of that knowledge and applying it to the modern time right like and then figuring out like projects that you should be doing based off of like what people are attracted to now. For me, I feel like it's definitely possible to like stay, I guess, I don't know. I just think about Elliot Wilson. Like, you know, I worked with him on hardcover and and he's continued to work on music for like I don't even I don't even know how long, but I know that Yeah, like yeah. perhaps since I you know, probably since I've been like I'm twenty five years old, you know, so it's like since I've been really little. And it's like he continues to to me, like he doesn't fade out, you know, like he's there, like he, like he definitely understands, I think, how, how he's decided to like 
stay relevant because hip hop has stayed relevant and yeah. like shifted how he's done that as time has gone on. He has, man. You know, I was, uh, I see him sometimes in the, uh, the lobby of our building when he's doing his podcast and like, <laughs> he has a guest come up and I'm like, yo man, you get all the good guests, you know, but, um, he has reinvented himself several times, whether it be, um, you know, literature, um, his crown series, his exactly po- like his podcast. Like I think he has one of the best, him and beat one of the best podcasts. Absol- out, absolutely. Just, just in conversation. And they've taken guests that I think some people would have ignored and um celebrated them right and and it's like it looks effortless you know and i i do like how many times he's reinvented himself but then also when i think of when you were saying that i think about how many people take this knowledge that they've gotten in whatever space it be maybe it's hip-hop maybe it's youth culture whatever and they jump out of it and bring it to somewhere else that needs it like right now like political parties could use an expert you know absolutely should i think about these clothing brands that are trying to tap in and they're a second too late or these commercials and you're like that was like last week's joke, you know, right. and they don't understand or let a brand get a social media person. And now all of a sudden they're typing, you know, and, you know, Twitter Ebonics. And I think about how much worth there is in being in our space right now, but taking that elsewhere because all these other industries and avenues are starting to accept. Some of them are starting to accept us and some of them are starting to tolerate us. Right. And I think that there's strength in going there and, sh- and directing where these, these ships go as they're going. So it's not a matter of these Places missing it is that will be accurately represented, right? And eventually, hip hop's really not even a counterculture anymore. But you go somewhere, and whatever the equivalent of handing Macklemore a, a Grammy is for these other brands and like these other outlets, like mm-hmm. they won't do that because they'll be in the right spot. They'll right. know to get it right. Um, and I think that there's worth in that. People leaving the space and bringing this knowledge elsewhere, so that it's our culture is truly reflected back to us. No matter if we're watching an old Navy commercial watching the Grammys, opening up a newspaper, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the plus one segment. Mm-hmm. So plus one segment is a time that you could, which I really feel like we've been doing throughout yeah, right. this time, but this is good because it's a little more structured and I think a little bit more intentional. So it's a time that you can shout out a person, place, thing, uh, a product, an experience that like you really appreciate right now. So what would that be for you? Yo, um... Mine is Angie Martinez. Um, Yo, I'm so glad you said that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, continue, continue. Um, 100, I 100%. Yo, uh, so I actually just got a chance to speak with Angie uh, prior. She She's dropping her memoir. Um, yeah, I can't wait to read it. Yeah, my, yo, it's so ill. It's called oh. My Voice. And um, I promised her I wouldn't go, I wouldn't, like, release any details or anything. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, when I, she had sent it to me so I could speak to her about it. It's so, so, so good. Like the barriers between her personal life and her profession aren't even really there. You just they're so intertwined. Right. And it and her her maturity and evolution, they happen at the same time where so many hip hop and musical and cultural memories take place for me. Yeah. That you're seeing someone who actually like I remember these instances with Angie involved because she was the one who presented them to me. Right. But then to hear her thinking on a lot of these things and her sense of morality. Shines. Her integrity. Yo, it, you know what? When I first met Angie a couple years ago, I had to interview her for like, I think they were doing the VH1 show. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I basically like flipped the interview and stopped asking questions about the show. And I was just sneaking questions like personal advice and like mm-hmm. careership. And her integrity was really what shined through. And I remember thinking like, yo, I grew up off you. And this is what I thought, who's who I thought you were, but you are that person and more. And more importantly for me, it was so reaffirming to know that you can you can keep it a hundred. You can be a good person. You can have a sense of morality, and still win. You know, and down. I think down in the day, like we're living in times of like page views and headlines and what's going to be the most salacious. And she had stuff in the can that's bigger than any hip hop, right? That you'll find that out Tupac about. that we might never live to hear. <sighs> Can't even tell you, but like <laughs> you'll get more information about those kind of things in the book and. She's had so many moments that she just kept on top right. that could have that anybody else would have seized. Right. And she did because she knew she knew the worth of what they were. And that right. comes down to integrity and respect for your craft, the people that you deal with, and the people that you don't deal with, the people that you don't know, like mm-hmm. the audience. And right. um, it shines through in the book and she humanizes so many moments. Even her, like I'd say her uh when she was leaving Hot and Seven going to Power One O five, you get the person behind it and you realize like She's the one, you know, like uh, if there's ever like a spirit guide for this, I'd say it's Angie. And um, I think she just did it by like, again, like not crazy training. She kind of jumped in this in her teenage years. She Mm -hmm. just did what she thought was right. And um, 
and her work ethic, like, holy shit, uh, you read that and you feel like, man, I need more hours in my day. Like, she, she's just of it, and I think she's reflected it back in a positive way. I think some people come in our, this space and they take from it. They take everything they, you know, it offers the, the parties, the free drinks, the celebrityism, and don't give anything back for real. And it's weird that we celebrate those people, but we don't know any better sometimes. Right. We don't she, know what it really takes. She's giving it back, whether it's just in her daily work or just in, like, in this book, she gives it back. And if you're, I think there's enough principles in here that are transferable to anything you do, even if you're just being, if you're just a, a person, Joe Schmo on the street, who teaches you kind of like how to be, not necessarily a good person, but like, yo, you're going to be presented with opportunities to not be that person. And she just kept it herself. Right. And any moment she didn't, she was able to kind of uh, self-reflect. And I think there's one thing I enjoy about Angie um, is that she um, she takes stock of self. And I spend a lot of time in my head trying to make sure that, like, yo, like, you're not getting too far this way. You're not getting too far that way. And sometimes I think it's, like, it's a strength of mine, but it's also a weakness, you mm-hmm. know. And... She takes stock of self, which lets me know, like, hey, okay, I'm not crazy. But then also, you see the moments where she's brave enough to pull the trigger. And I think that sometimes if you get too in your head, it's hard to make that jump. But there's a good balance of that in the book. It's I read it in, like, a day and a half. Like, she's she's just ill. Yeah. I have so much respect for Angie Martinez. And I really hope I get to meet her one day and just number one tell her how much I appreciate what she does but also just like have a normal conversation with her because I just feel like that's the type of person she is every combo even like a work-related one feels super normal so like even afterwards if I've interviewed her I like I have to go back and watch it because I'm like damn did I say anything that was actually about the topic because we were just kicking it <laughs> yeah but um I always tell people there's a couple people like when I was first starting out to do what I do and I had no clue what to do and there's like a handful of people I would look to to figure out how to do it and Angie's one. There's like mm-hmm. two or three more, but she's like the one where I was like, okay, do this like Angie does. And then to meet her and have those things affirmed, it was like, okay, right. cool. So my plus one is a is a music two. It's actually I discovered it today, and I feel like you're when I show you this, you're gonna love it. Yeah. So there's this site called Radio O O O O O. So when you go, you can choose a country you can choose a time era and it will play music from that time era like what okay so let's just go to <laughs> let's just go to the u.s for the sake of u.s mm-hmm. and let's go to let's go to 1990 so this is lenny kravitz i belong to you lenny's old <laughs> and i just thought this was the coolest thing i love the radio so much yeah and during this time where there's podcasts, and to me, I don't even think of radio just like being, I guess, in the, in the format of like a, a radio setting or like a broadcast setting. I think of it as like that conversation and that DJ and that playing of the music and even the commercials too are like a part of hip hop, right? Or a, a part of radio. And like anywhere where I can go like this, that feels like, it, that's not a playlist, but it's, it feels like the radio yeah. i love it i eat it up I so this is um, something really really cool i think it's really awesome not so i didn't even i, didn't even know I just it. discovered it today it's funny you said commercials are part of it i think like how as a kid i know nantucket nectar commercials from 97 <laughs> or they have, when they have the djs read their spots uh funk flex is this western beef like supermarket commercial and it's mad funny because he's talking about vegetables but it's like in the funk flex voice, right? It's mad funny. Um, I gotta find it. Oh it's, my it's gosh! Hilarious. Okay, so before we sign off, I want to make sure that we give a shout out to Rembert. Oh yeah, yeah. For, shout out Rem. for connecting us. The, the like even the the subject line was hilarious. Oh my god, the subject line is "This is a pod dream. This is everything." He's nuts. I almost tweeted that today, but I was like, "Let me chill. Let me let me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait until <laughs> it comes out, and then I'm gonna like." Yo, did I answer your questions? I feel like I said everything like very open ended and No, I no, I really like what you have to say because the whole point of really what I'm trying to do with like my podcast is bring people who I know aren't like negative people in general. I can be negative. I mean I can be negative too. <laughs> I think that and that's why this podcast has been a journey for me to figure out what do I want to what do I want it to be? What do I want to talk about? And what are the types of people I want to bring on to like hold these conversations where it's not like we have to mindlessly talk about everything that we like, but if we aren't going to talk about stuff that 
we have a lot of questions about, let's let's create a conversation that that brings it to the next level. Yeah. You know? So I think you brought up a lot of stuff that we don't hear all the time. So I think it'll Blink be good. Too. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like and um so shout out to Rembert and yeah. he's so I'm gonna bring him on as like a booking producer for Am I Allowed to Like Anything. I think he'd love it. I'm surprised he's not you don't have an episode with Rem. Okay, well that and you know what, I really wanna blow up his spot right now and I'm not I'm not gonna do it, but it's supposed to be in the works. Um, I've been on another podcast with Rem, and he's amazing. I know he's, he's amazing, and, yeah. and, and he and he and he goes on the podcast and everything. And we've like talked about it, but he's crazy. I mean, I, I told Rem's, I told myself I'm not I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna uh, like badger him about it. Rem is super popping now, so he's like he's everywhere. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm trying to keep my inbox immaculate. BCC me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rembert. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, I get it. I get it. I get it. But like, yeah. shout out to Bert. I'm about to make him like a booking producer for my allowed to like anything, and so that he can connect you with all his dope friends. Yeah, he's got a lot. He's he's a really good dude. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you, Jinx. This was yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah.